Welcome to the Pursuing Jesus podcast. This is episode 1B, a conversation on the parable of the four soils. And today I've got Braven with me. He's a longtime friend, and we also serve together at a church. Hey, everyone. So why are we doing these conversations? Well, you know, it's one thing to study and understand Jesus and his parables. It's another thing for me to teach it and maybe guess at the application of your life. But if we can make it even more practical by having a conversation about it, why wouldn't we? In these conversations, we can talk about things like, how do we measure up? What does this parable mean to us today? Where are our successes in it? Where are our failures, struggles, doubts, all that stuff? But first, Braven, what's your favorite story of all time? Oh, gosh. Does it have to be something out of the Bible? (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, I'm really bad with having favorites um, because I enjoy new things and new stories, and I rarely go back and read or watch something a second time. Um, I do occasionally. I do enjoy it, but especially since cable TV is kind of gone, <laughs> um, gone the way of the dodo bird. But basically, I would say stories that are about redemption, um, where people are down and out. They've just messed up their lives, and then they crawl back and um, redeem their lives, just as Jesus has done for us. So obviously, there's the parallel that really you know speaks to my heart. Okay, so if you don't have a favorite story, maybe throw out some authors or directors or yeah i mean i enjoy film i enjoy literature a lot a lot of it's fiction just because i really enjoy the the bounds that you can push when you are writing about fiction um, whereas true stories are really powerful and they obviously touch the lives of so many people because of their reality because of their truth but with fiction, you're just able to touch on themes that maybe not even be present yet, but may be someday, which I think is really fun just in an imaginary, adventurous aspect to life. Yeah, like sci-fi is really good at that because you can say, well, what's going to happen, you know, 100 years from now if we continue down this certain path in this area and then kind of tell a story about that as like a cautionary tale. Absolutely. Culturally, socially, there's some really fun themes you can touch on. Really scary stuff. Obviously, there are a lot of positives, and it's a slippery slope when it comes to uh, the things we get versus the things that are taken away from us. But uh, they're fun to explore. They're fun to read about. Yeah, for me, I think there's two kinds of stories I keep finding myself being drawn to. There's the super powerful, serious ones that I'll probably only ever watch or read once. So 12 Years a Slave, The Passion... Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You know, those are amazing stories and they're so impactful, but they're so raw and, and like real that I really only want to witness that once. And then there's the fun stuff, you know, the, the stuff that you can revisit over and over again, like Harry Potter, Ghostbusters, you know, that's entertaining. It still has value, but um, it's a little more pulled away from reality, at least enough that that you don't feel like you're getting beat up watching it. Yeah, the the emotional energy it takes to watch those films. Is, it's why, especially looking at the Oscar list right now, it's just all these really emotional, deep films. And like, I don't know if I can handle, you know, watching them all in, in preparation to watch the award show, but I'm going to, so. Yeah, you got to alternate maybe like a Pixar film. And then, <laughs> exactly, and something then a little Oscar lighter. Candidate. Absolutely. I can only be rocked so many times a week.
stories are, are so important to us, right? I mean, they're, they're a huge part of our society. They're a huge part of not only what people do for entertainment, but the way they communicate. And I don't think that's a new development. It's maybe developed into something different recently, being more social media driven, more instantaneous. But, you know, before that, there were there were films and TV. And before that, there were books. And before that, there was, you know, stories being told around campfires and houses, oral storytelling as, as long as time's been around, right? Stories are important. They help shape the culture or at least inform what's going on in culture. And Jesus spoke in stories, right? I mean, that's that's something that he did that that maybe sets him aside from a lot of other teachers is that the primary means that he communicated through was stories. And they weren't even that long. They're not they're not huge chunks to bite off. They're just these little short um, illustrations, which is great. Yeah, and I mean, specifically, they're called parables, right? So yeah, it's just a parable being a story, but it's also a comparison. So you're comparing, you know, one thing to reality and then making making that connection but it's also there to excite interest to get people hooked in on you know to lean in a little bit to, to really see what's going on in the surface because they actually care about um you know care to learn more care about the person speaking care about you know what's being said yeah yeah i think what's really cool is if you if you look at the bible as a whole and then the person of jesus god is always incarnating himself which means he's putting himself into things and meeting people where they're at and he does jesus does this even with teaching right he doesn't start with these lofty ideals or these abstract concepts he starts with daily life where people are he just meets them right there and and meets their personal needs immediately through through these stories he doesn't he doesn't just tell stories to hear himself talk is that what what you're trying to say because we do that all the time right yeah no his stories had a purpose Okay, so if, if a parable is, is a comparison, right, you're, you're taking some deep truth and you're putting it alongside something really mundane and normal and daily. Um, okay, I get that. So, but what do you think the advantage is? Why, why do you think Jesus taught that way as opposed to just speaking like a philosophy professor, giving postulates and theorems and, and truths? Yeah, it's tough to answer that question just in the general sense of, I've grown up in the church and I've been told, <laughs> you know, parables are, you know, if people want to hear it and understand it, then they'll, they'll lean in and, you know, won't give up. And then those people who um, either have animosity towards Jesus or to the word or, or it just doesn't fit their narrative, they'll pull away and they'll, they won't pursue it. And so in, in that general sense, Jesus is giving us a choice. He's not just laying it out, telling us, this or that he's giving he's inviting us into this opportunity to engage with him so it can be scary being invited to engage but at the same time that's what helps us commit that's what helps us be all in for um you know to understand it on our level because jesus is coming into you know our world our lives and and speaking to us where we are and, and it's so cool that he engages with us on that level so that we can then engage with him and pursue him through that yeah, I, I like that idea of engagement because, I mean, right there, that shows a huge difference between, like, the philosophy professor example. Um, you know, a professor is there to lecture. It's a very one-sided thing most of the time, right? They, they have the knowledge, and they're just disseminating it to you. But what Jesus is doing is he's inviting us into a conversation. So 
he's it's like a dialogue it goes back and forth between yeah. whether it's verbal or not it's going back and forth between what he's saying and then like the life experience of the hearers and they're seeing if it's okay does this ring true it's like a it's like a gentle kind of guiding instead of hammering the truth on someone do you think jesus got disappointed <laughs> with the crowd when they so many wouldn't believe you know and so many wouldn't understand or wouldn't follow pursue um i just find it so interesting that the majority don't and and this is jesus we're talking about right i mean if anyone's going to speak um to the hearts of man it's it's jesus christ himself and yet there are so many who just don't have the hearts to hear i'm sure he expected it but how could he not still be disappointed Hmm. it's like you you can read in like the gospel accounts even times where he's he has his woes he's saying woe to you pharisees what are you teachers of the law it's like he knew exactly where they were and where their hearts were, but it still disappointed him. It still grieved him. Joy and joy and sorrow in parallel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like he said, a lot of people didn't actually do anything after they heard Jesus' stories. They might have thought, "Oh, that was an interesting story," or "Yeah, I don't know if I believe that," or whatever they're thinking in their hearts. Right? It's very few that actually engaged, and um, that's actually what we're going to talk about today. We're looking at what's commonly known as the parable of the four soils. And what do you think about that? I mean, Jesus is in this story, he's comparing himself to a sower, right? So his word is the seed. And he's just kind of indiscriminately scattering it everywhere. It Mm -hmm. seems like the least strategic plan possible. Just scatter seed and see what happens. Wow. Yeah. In that sense, I guess, it's not really targeted. It's not, let me find out my demographic. Let me see who, you know, who's interested to hear, you know, maybe disenfranchised, you know, Jews studying at temple or, or Gentiles who have been forgotten, you know, specifically, but he went to all peoples and just spoke. He just spoke the word, spoke the truth. And whoever had ears to hear, heart to hear, um, following up is kind of a weird turn of phrase, but, you know, pursued, pursued Jesus in that sense not for his miracles you know like so many people did and just wanted to be there because it was a spectacle but um, for what the truth behind that was and that's hard to do I mean it was hard for the disciples to do so I don't see why it wouldn't be hard for the crowd but in the sense that God was preparing them Jesus was preparing them for something down the road right because today if if we were trying to reach a group of people the first thing we do is go okay who's my audience and then we'd probably start doing some market research, um, figure out how to reach them. Like, how do I get to this niche of people? We, we'd probably start with who at least we thought was the most powerful, most intelligent person, right? And we'd go down from there. We'd start with them. We got to reach them first. But Jesus started kind of, you know, with just like everyday people and worked up. And it was actually usually the, those in power that had a problem with his message. So um, that's we, we haven't talked a lot about what the kingdom of God is and what Jesus's um, understanding of what that was, but this parable starts to already show us that it's something very different than what a worldly kingdom is. I find it interesting that Jesus leads with the message. He leads with, "Hey, are you open? Where is your heart at?" He doesn't. He doesn't start teaching the truth, the, what is the kingdom of heaven? He doesn't elucidate any of that. He just starts with, are you receptive? Where's your heart? Yeah. So there's these, these four types of soil that Jesus talks about in this parable. You've got the hard path, you've got 
the rocky soil, you've got the soil that has thorns, weedy thorns in it, and then you've got the good soil. So what do you think each of these means? So yeah, the, the hard path would be someone who just doesn't have a heart to hear. They just, it just bounces off them. They're, I like to think these people, and this could be a misconception, but I like to think these people aren't really introspective about their lives. They just go on living, they don't care. Uh, maybe they're agnostic, but they just really just don't want to take the time to think about it. Their lives are too busy, um, or they have more important things to worry about. Now, with the path that has uh, rocky soil, you know, the seed may take root, just really, really shallow, and then when anything comes along um, to challenge it, it's just gonna, it's gonna be very short-lived. It, uh, it's ephemeral, it, you know, it piques someone's interest. Oh, that, that kind of sounds cool. They probably, you know, pick up on every, you know, self-help book there is. <laughs> that sounds great, that sounds great, but they don't really pursue or follow up on anything of, of merit of, um, you know, that has any meat to it. And then there's the soil that has thorns that go around it. So the seed takes root, it goes down, but then the thorns come up and choke out the life of, of the plant and, or the seed rather. And with that, it's the, the challenges of life. So yeah, being part of a church, following Christ, all sounds great, blessings, awesome. And then as soon as there's something in life that doesn't go your way, um, God gets blamed and you peace out. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, God uses those same situations in good soil believers and believers that have deep roots in Christ um, to challenge and grow them. Those are trials that help um, Christ followers grow into um, warriors of the faith, um, Christians that have better character. Because as you know, we don't take our wealth, we don't take our things with us to heaven, we take our character. And so that is what God is interested in building. That is what's going to bring us more joy in this life. Um, oftentimes I find in my own life how the things I want aren't good for me. And a lot of people find that as well. But when God slowly transforms my heart, I don't want those things anymore. It's not about, you know, using self-control and a lot of that is required, but um, especially when forming spiritual habits. But once I am being renewed, I am being changed in my spirit. I don't want those things anymore. Those things aren't enticing. Those things aren't things that I desire. Um, those things that are keeping me from a deeper, richer relationship with God. Um, and I struggle with that because we do live in Orange County and there are so many things and pressures and uh, social media and, you know, image and all these things that um, kind of attack us on all sides every day. I, I used to see these different soils almost as levels of maturity, but now I almost just see them as, as levels of health. Um, because if you, I mean, if you think about real soil for a second and like a, a real gardener or a real farmer, right? It Health isn't like a static thing. So at one point the soil could be healthy, but then it can get depleted and has to be, you know, amended with things or it could be healthy and then some pest comes in or some weed mm. that has to be dealt with. And if you don't deal with it immediately, um, over time, it's just going to take over everything. So I think even as people like you and I, who would already say, we follow Christ, we're not going to ever stop following Christ. We can still kind of slide from being a healthy, good soil to maybe letting some thorns and other things start to like choke out that, that fruit in our life. We need to constantly be vigilant about our faith. 
because it's not something that um, is static. It's, it's always growing and moving and changing and we need to cultivate it. Yeah, definitely. Right. So if I was to go buy a plant at Home Depot today and some really good soil, it's already, the plant is probably healthy already. The soil is already healthy already. I can go put that, plant it. It's going to do pretty well right off the bat. Right. But unless you continue to cultivate that health, it just starts to deteriorate after a while. Right. Um, and I think this is kind of what you were saying earlier when you said you've got the sun and the water that the wind, all that stuff that on a real plant, if the plant's not healthy, that's death. If it is healthy, that actually brings life. And, um, in the same way for cultivating the soil, right? We're going to, we're going to need heat. We're going to need water. Uh, we might need some, uh, some crap on it, right? Some, <laughs> some, some decom- decomposing plants and manure and things that actually makes the soil healthier. Um, so, you know, in your, in your own life, what are some things that you see that start to like threaten the health of your heart and your receptivity to what Jesus is saying? And what do you, how do you deal with that? Like, what are some healthy practices? You called them, you mentioned spiritual disciplines earlier for, for people that know what that means. That's just daily habits, habits that yeah. you can, can do to kind of stay in that healthy posture. I wouldn't say I have really great habits. I feel like I probably take for granted that I work for a church and I get to, you know, hear God's redemptive story so many times just through my general day of working. Um, but when it comes to, you know, spending time with God in the morning or reading my Bible in the evening, um, those things are struggles. And I wish they weren't. I wish those are things that I wanted to do more. Um, kind of like Paul, like we're always, you know, struggling with our nature and, uh, I, you know, I don't do what I want to do and I want to do what I want to do. I don't do and all that. I find it kind of funny, my wife, that's kind of dangerous bringing up my wife, she wished that our backyard looked prettier, that it had more, you know, nature in it, more plants. So I told her, okay, growing up with my parents and that my mom having a big issue with having a brown thumb, we like to say, um, you know, always going through every, you know, two to five years, redoing everything because everything died or something like that. I mean, Southern Californians, we live in a desert. And with that, I told my wife, okay, you have, you know, do whatever you want just do it once. And if it dies, you're like, that's it. You don't get a replant. You don't get a, you better, you better take care of those plants. No grace there, man. No grace. (laughs) Very kind of dry. And obviously that's not a very good, um, comparison to our faith because, um, a lot of times we, we need, obviously we need to constantly be vigilant because we are in spiritual warfare and we do get attacked and we do need to, um, continue to grow our faith and, um, to, I mean, through community, being encouraged by other believers and being held accountable um, to, you know, God's principles in our lives. Um, the struggles are are many. You know, success is a huge struggle. Um, you know, obviously being the male provider in my family um, is difficult sometimes, not so much in the sense of me making ends meet, but in the sense of what more could I be doing? You know, how can I succeed better? How can I, or even the appearance of it, how can I look like I'm succeeding? Um, And it's hard to say enough is enough. It's hard to say, okay, my time needs to be spent in service to others, not in service to some goal that has no importance beyond tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, there's that balance, right, between 
doing things and then just being healthy, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, a lot. This is probably like a, a pretty well known adage, at least in in Western culture, right? If you're coasting, that means you're going downhill. Mm. But sometimes going uphill, it feels like we're just Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill over and over and over again. And there's going Greek on us. You going? (laughs) That's Greek, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and even with that, I mean, sometimes like my backyard. Sometimes you do have to hit the reset button. You know, sometimes we do have to. We've we've walked so far in the wrong direction, and I think one of the ways that's dangerous, really dangerous, is looking at all the good things in our life. And weighing that against the bad and saying, oh, I come out, I'm a net positive. I think it's really dangerous because those those things that are weighing us down are really dangerous, are really, um, you know, hurtful to our walk, to our ministry. And when we say, oh, well, you know, I'm tithing and I'm, I'm nice to people and especially those that love me back. I'm really nice to those people. Um, but when it comes down to it, sin is sin and rot is rot. And sometimes we need to, you know, hit the reset button, you know, dig up that plant and start over. And it's scary. It's scary to admit, first of all. And then obviously it takes a lot of time um, for to let God in and to, to work in those places. So I think what I hear you saying is there's certain things that aren't healthy for you that you would want to keep out of your life. So it's like in, in the soil comparison, it's like, there's certain things that are going to damage the soil that you're going to keep away from it. And then there's certain things you want to add back into your life to continue keeping it going in the right direction, keep it healthy and thriving. Yeah. And I would say I do want those bad things in my life because if I didn't want those bad things in my life, they wouldn't be there. <laughs> that's that's the problem, right? I, I can recognize I have you know, a small level of spiritual maturity where I can recognize those things as um, unhealthy to my walk with with the Lord. But that doesn't mean that I, and another difficulty being it's about quantity, right? This this thing in my life in a small quantity, um, as long as my heart's in the right place, isn't an issue. But if my heart's not in the right place or it, it starts to take over my life, then it becomes an issue. So, you know, where is that balance. And that's the thing. It's, you know, the, the road less traveled. <laughs> Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Yeah. One thing I want to clarify, it doesn't really come up with in this parable, but um, I don't want it to come across like the whole thing is in our power to make like mm. our, our heart good, our soil good, right? You, you can see throughout the Bible and through other parables and teachings of Jesus that he's not only the sower, he's almost like the gardener too, right? It's like we, we do have to be willing and receptive, receptive to his word initially, but it's not up to only us to stay in that healthy spot. It's not you with your wife where you're like, you have this one chance. If those roses <laughs> die, <laughs> they're gone. They're just, we're just going to cut them out and have dirt, and you're never going to like grow anything there again. It's like, no, there may be some growth. There may be some, some death. We're going to keep working on it. We're going to keep this soil you know, going in the right direction, keep your, you know, your heart, your soil healthy. Thankfully, people matter more than plants. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, this is just a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas Willard, who he was a uh, awesome theologian, philosopher, taught at UCLA for many years. Um, he has this phrase called transactional Christianity. And it's this, this idea that believing in God, following Jesus is this action that you do once 
So you, you say the right prayer, you do the right thing or whatever, and then you're good. It's like, you know, scanning a barcode at the supermarket. You're like, all right, I scanned it, I paid, I'm good, I own this. How does that hold up against this parable? I mean, because when I, when I look at this parable, it doesn't seem like that kind of Christianity could really get you anywhere healthy. Yeah, I wonder too, because I mean, when people talk about this parable, a lot of times they talk about, okay, if they said they were a believer, said they are following Christ and then stop following Christ, like they never were really following him to begin with, that whole argument. And our relationship's in flux because it needs to be watered constantly. You can, you can be, I mean, I just remember growing up, I had a lot of best friends that I don't even talk to anymore just because of distance or time or whatever, what have you. And if we have a relationship with, with God, no matter how much we believe in the truth of the Bible, um, if we don't cultivate it, if we don't continually engage in that relationship, then it's going to wither and die. Yeah, I think we're, what we're kind of circling around here is this idea, maybe the difference between a contractual agreement and then a covenantal relationship, right? Mm. So a contract, you draw it up, you have certain stipulations to protect the parties, almost with the assumption that something may go wrong and you're protecting yourself against that. Those clauses, those laws in that contract are like of key importance. But in like a covenantal relationship, which is what God wants with us, the relationship is primary. That's not going to change. That relationship is always there no matter what happens. And then when you do something wrong or something bad happens, there's always the opportunity to go back. It's my favorite part about the New Testament is just how screwy all the disciples were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You look, you can read through like the gospel of Mark and they're never doing anything right. They're always confused. They're always like one or two steps behind. Even like the the normal everyday people that Jesus is talking to, they know more than the disciples. The disciples are always kind of clueless. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. I, I mean, it it speaks a lot to just who we are as people and the grace of God to, to still God work with cho- us. Who God chooses to use and, and how he chooses to use us in our brokenness. Exactly. So we, we've been talking a lot about being receptive to Jesus. Um, but at some point, you know, you'll make a decision in your life and you will be or you won't be receptive to him. And then after that moment, um, you, your role changes. You're not just a receiver anymore. You're also a giver, right? You're, you're partnering now with, with Jesus in his work. So, I mean, how do you see that playing out in daily life? How do you see us partnering with Jesus in this idea of scattering seed, his word, and cultivating soil? others hearts. Yeah, we we too get to get rejected when we scatter seed, <laughs> which is oh so fun, but I think just discerning where people are when we talk to them. Some people have had that seed planted. You know, a lot of people grew up going to church or hearing about God or you know, Easter Christmas or whatever it may be, and we can reach into that and engage with them on on whatever level they are and then speak to their needs. Cuz I think you can't really speak to people without first recognizing their needs in their life. If it's loneliness or um, some other emotional need, I think we need to be there. I think that's why doing life together is so important. I mean, we may bump into somebody and have a cursory conversation and, you know, um, encourage somebody in some way that we may never see again. But ultimately, community, doing life together, walking along by, uh, alongside somebody just as Christ 
um, walks alongside us, I mean, he models it for us. I mean, that's what's so great. It's like we we know how to do it because Jesus did it first, and he didn't do it without trial. He didn't he didn't do it without troubles. You know, he ran into plenty of those, but God gives us the strength, the wisdom, uh, the people in our lives to help us accomplish uh, the mission as God has set before us. And I think it's so cool that we're able to engage with others just as God has engaged with us to to lead people into that fellowship, lead people into that um, life, the abundant life um, with Christ. We have a lot more power to influence people than we understand. Um, we can cause someone to, to wither pretty easily with just a few choice words, or we can build someone up and we can encourage someone with better words or with a kind action, right? And meeting people where they are, seeing those needs. I mean, that, like you said, that's the, that's what Jesus did. That's why there were crowds around him because he knew where they were at and he met them there and he loved them there. And he didn't expect them to have anything for him. They didn't, he didn't expect them to have any, like their lives all figured out before he was willing to receive them. And so that's, what's great about doing life with, with other people is that we can, we all know that we're broken. We all have our areas of struggle and we can just recognize those and, and build each other up through those. What a testament to the time we're in right now, too. <laughs> understanding each other, understanding where people are coming from, and um, not making rash judgments about others and not dismissing people based off of a belief that they hold that you don't. Um, yes. Just to really, you know, sit in people's brokenness and be okay with it because we're broken. I think it's such a sign of maturity and it's such a sign of Christ in our lives that we can do that. I I don't think I could say anything better than that. So we should just end there. So thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being the guinea pig. You're the first (laughs) first one. Next time on this podcast, we're going to talk about who we love and how we love. Who do we need to love? Do we need to love everybody? Or are there some people that we don't really need to love? And how do we love? What's the right way to do it? How much do you really have to give? Can we place limits on that? And we're going to look at what's commonly called the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you've got comments or questions about today's podcast, you can leave them through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes, along with credits to today's music. Thanks for listening. See you next time.